Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Very specific phrasing. Matthew's drawing your attention to the manner in which Christ was conceived. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, here's another key phrase that shows us in this way, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we look into this truth, would you give us great insight? Would you illumine our hearts? Thank you for the children being with us this morning. And may they understand the challenge and may you draw their hearts to you in faith at a young age. In your name we pray. Amen. In this way. In what way? What does Matthew 1.18 in Luke chapter 1 reveal to us about Jesus that's unique and that should drive our hearts and our worship this morning? Well, when most people think of the Christmas story, they think specifically of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. It's appropriate for us to do that because these passages reveal to us the Advent story, the incarnation of the manner in which Christ came into this world. However, when we look at Scripture as a whole, we realize that the overarching message of the Bible, the overarching purpose of the Bible, when we recognize that, we realize that the Christmas story is told throughout the entire Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just contained in a few verses or in a few chapters. And I'll give you the illustration. I'll give you an illustration of this. And The story begins in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, deceived by the serpent, they choose to sin... And as a result of that, their lives will never be the same again. So God explains to them that the world is now cursed, right? And kids, if you remember Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to ask you a question and see if you know the answer to this, okay? The curse for, for the man was that in all of his work, there was now something added to his work, and that is the word toil, which means that when you try to build something, it's not going to come out perfect, it means that when you plant something, it's not going to come up perfect. It means there are going to be weeds and thorns and thistles. And as we work, the earth is actually going to be working against us to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. For the women, part of the curse was pain and child labor. That, that the child birthing process would now be covered in travailing and pain also would come with a desire to rule over and lord over her husband and usurp the plan God has. Kids, do you remember what the curse of the serpent was? What was the curse of the serpent? What do you think? Okay. Um, okay, and what was he, he going to eat? The dust of the ground. Why? Because at this point, he was going to do what? He was going to have to crawl on his belly, right? And that's what makes snakes so creepy and we actually have a family who owns a pet snake in here and thus the curse is present in their house at all times but anyway no just kidding uh i used to own i've owned snakes i love snakes snakes are really cool but but they're creepy because they crawl on their belly it's, it was part of the curse but there's there's something else in that verse that actually tells us about christmas did you know that it has nothing to do with snakes but in Genesis chapter 3, I want to read this to you, and I want to show you how Christmas begins to be woven in at the very beginning of the Scripture. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then he says, I will put 
enmity or fighting, tension, conflict between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, the offspring of the woman shall bruise your head or shall crush the serpent's head. And yet the serpent shall bruise the heel of the offspring. Friends, that's the beginning of the story of Christmas. The promise that one day there would be one who would come who would conquer sin. That there was a curse that was placed as a result of sin because sin always carries consequences with it. And as a result of sin, the consequence was the curse that was brought on this world that one day would be undone, overturned, because the curse comes with a prophecy. One day, everything will be set right again and Satan will be conquered. The head of the serpent will be crushed. So there will be someone to come to reverse the curse, to unbreak what has been broken. Christmas begins right there, the the prophecy, the story of Christmas. We know it's a prophecy about Christ because the word offspring or seed is in the singular. There's one who will come. Yes, through the nation of Israel, but referring to Christ. Now let's pause for just a minute and let's look at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 again. And let's look at that phrase, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And let's ask the question in Genesis 3.15, if we put ourselves in Adam and Eve's shoes and we say, okay, there is someone who will come, but how will that happen? In what way will that happen? How is that even possible? If it is to be the offspring of Eve, notice it's an offspring of the woman, then it would have to be a human rescuer. But in order to have the authority to crush the head of Satan, he must, this human must have the power of God. And so you have this promise that it's both going to be human and have the power of God. And no doubt you would look at that and say, okay, how in the world can that ever be accomplished? And so for thousands of years, God's people waited for this promised one, the seed of the woman, who would make all things right. And, and looking forward to this, the Old Testament saints were, were obviously confused about this. I mean, Mary, who was so doctrinally sound that she wrote the Magnifica, which is laced and just, just, just loaded with theological truth, did not know that Messiah would be born of a virgin. And thus her question in Luke chapter 1, how can this be? How can I give birth to God's promised one? And so the Old Testament saints are confused about how this is going to work is because all they have are the Old Testament prophecies and they're rightly confused because they're looking at one person who would hold the following roles. How can one person both be the suffering servant and the conquering king? How can one person be both the son of man and the son of God? How can one person both be the sacrifice for the sin that's needed, and the righteous judge? How can one person both be the law keeper and the law giver? How can one person both be the lamb who was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah? And so you look at this, and, and from an Old Testament perspective, you wonder how in the world could anything like this take place 
How can Messiah fulfill the role of the offspring of Eve and the serpent slayer? What they could not see was that in order for these to be true, the impossible would need to happen. A person would need to be born, and if you're taking notes, kids, this is the phrase you want to write down, the person would need to be born who was both truly God and truly man. Not a really godly person and not some deified human that glowed, but one who was truly God and truly man. And so how would this happen? Well, Luke chapter 1, which many of you will probably read later on today, or maybe you read this morning as a family. If you didn't, I would encourage you to. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen to the explanation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So through the miracle of the virgin birth, we discover a deep theological truth that I want to spend just a few brief moments on this morning. And that is a non-negotiable truth about Jesus. And the language that we use is very specific and necessary. Is that he was one person with two natures. One person, two natures. When we talk about the Trinity, those of you that took the class on the Trinity would recognize that in, in the, in, when we talk about the Godhead, we talk of a God with one essence with three persons. He is one essence, and all three persons share the essence of God, and so we have the three persons of the Trinity, and when we come to Jesus, when we come to the Son of God, in the moment of conception, Jesus Christ, the, the, the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, added to his divine nature a human nature. And so he becomes truly God, truly man. And from the moment of conception, that is now true of the second person of the Trinity for all of eternity. Never changing. That in that moment of the conception in Mary's womb, we now have one person with two natures. Truly God, truly man. I want to read you a quote from a church father named Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say it. Here's what it says. In speaking of this moment in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, Jesus is begotten by the Father. He was not made by the Father. He was made man in the mother whom he himself had made. So that he might exist here for a while, sprung from her who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power. So in that moment of conception, as Augustine would say, 
He was made man in the mother who he himself had made. Friends, a lot of people think that the virgin birth is important to reveal to us that Jesus did not have a sin nature. And that is true. But the fulfillment of the virgin birth is so much more foundational and so much more doctrinally deeper than just Jesus not having a sin nature. Most people will say, well, the virgin birth is important for this reason. And you may believe this and have heard this. And this is not necessarily an untrue statement. That if Jesus would have been born from a man and a woman, then, uh, then he would have had a sin nature. And thus, he had to be born of just a woman. Because depending on whether you believe this or not, you know, the sin nature passes down through the man. Right? Because men are dogs and men are worse than women. And so the sin nature is passed down through the man. And so since he didn't have a father, then, uh, then he didn't have a sin nature. And thus, that's the importance of the virgin birth. And, and the reasoning may or may not be true, depending on your theological bent. Um, the statement, he's born without a sin nature, definitely is true, but, but that's just scraping the surface. I mean, that's not even unwrapping the gift yet. That in this moment, God, the Son, added to himself a human nature, and he was conceived into a woman's womb that he created. And for all of eternity, the second person of the Trinity is now a person with two natures, fully God, fully man. Truly God, truly man. We must be careful not to confuse these two natures. Jesus is not some sort of deified man, nor is he a God who just appeared as a human. I was at a, um, a fundraising banquet that... Uh, was for a pro-life event, which we were supporting and very happy to be there. It was a very good cause to make sure that we could continue to promote pro-life causes here in the South Bend area as well as in the Niles, Michigan area. And there was a speaker who did an amazing job motivating everyone to pro-life causes. But as she was speaking, she made a statement, and I almost... You can be careful. If you're, if you're a preacher and somebody says something you disagree with, you have to be careful because sometimes you don't even realize. You just say, nope. You know, it's kind of like when you're watching a, a movie and your kids are there and you say, now, did they obey their parents? Kids, how many of your parents do that? Now, was that a good attitude? You know, and you can't help yourself as a parent but to pause the movie and say, now, do we talk to mom and dad like that? I don't think so. You know, and so I'm sitting there and she's talking and she made this statement She said, and Jesus, who was God with skin on. And I almost said, nope. I didn't, praise the Lord. But the problem is people will make pithy statements like that that are so false. Jesus was not God with skin on. Because that makes it sound like like that Jesus didn't have lungs and, and a heart. And somehow he was some walking puppet. Friends, Jesus was truly a man in every way. And he was truly God in every way. And we cannot negotiate that truth. Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
If you want a super fancy phrase, it's my Christmas gift to you. It's the phrase hypostatic union. It just means that that in the moment of conception, the second person of the Trinity has a human nature and a God, the, the, the nature of God, fully and completely and truly in all respects in one entity, distinct yet inseparable. This does not mean that Jesus is divided. Jesus is not bipolar. These are two natures perfectly joined in Jesus. Two passages, and we'll talk about some implications. Hebrews chapter 2. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Hebrews 2.17. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. You need no priest other than Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Friends, why is this so important? Because if we don't have a Redeemer who's truly God and truly human, we can't be reconciled to God. Truly human. Jesus had to actively obey every single command of the law and live a perfect life as a human. That's what he had to do. He had to be truly human in every way and actively obey every single law. Jesus not only didn't do anything wrong, he did everything right. Because you couldn't. Then... He had to be able to be punished as a man, as a human, in order to stand as your substitute. You can't have someone who's less than human stand in as your substitute on the cross. So if Jesus was not truly human, you lose redemption. But if he's not truly God, you lose redemption also. Because no one but someone who is truly God would be able to fully obey the law in every respect. For all fall short. Someone who is less than God would not be able to bear the sins of the world without distinction on his shoulders on the cross. Someone who was simply a man could die for his own sin but could not die for the sins of many. And so you have to have a Redeemer who is truly man and truly God. Three implications. Three implications and we'll close. Jesus' humanity did not cease when he rose from the grave. That means that, number one, you have a man sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven right now. Interceding on your behalf. You have a man in heaven. Jesus understands all of your struggles He understands all of your temptations. When you get to heaven, John says in 1 John that when we see him, we will be like him. You're going to look at Jesus and you're going to say, he looks like me. Because you're going to have a glorified body and he has a glorified body. He's truly man. Now, you will not be God. But you have a man sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you right now. He understands your suffering. He understands your struggles. Number two, you have a God-man in heaven right now not only interceding for you, but taking your requests for the Father. He's interceding for your sin, but he's also bringing your request to the Father. You ever wonder why we pray in Jesus' name? It's not just something we say. 
It means, Lord, I am coming to you through the man who's sitting beside you. God, I am coming to you with these requests in Jesus' name, by way of Jesus, and he takes your requests and he places them in front of the Father because you have a man interceding and taking a request for you. Number three, God loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to this earth to add a human nature for the rest of eternity so that you could be reconciled to him. That Jesus came and was willing to become a man not just for 33 years, but willing to become a man for the rest of eternity for you. The love that's displayed on the cross of Calvary is great in so many ways as you see Christ demonstrating his love as he came to become a man and suffer for you. Friends, the the virgin birth, that moment is so much more than just saying, well, Jesus doesn't have a sin nature. Yes, but so much more. That he's truly man, truly God in every respect. Born into this world And if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're visiting with us, the beauty of Jesus being truly man and truly God is that he took your place on the cross so that if you trust him and him alone for your salvation, for your forgiveness for sins, there's nothing you can do to earn favor with God. You come through Jesus and through Jesus alone. That he came to this earth taking on his human nature so that you could be reconciled to God. In this path of reconciliation, the last four weeks, we've looked at the different characters that God uses to accomplish the plan of redemption, and it comes to a climax in Jesus Christ in that moment of conception. And may God give us the grace to worship with that in mind and to praise him with that in mind on this Christmas day. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can gather to recognize the truth that Jesus is truly man and truly God in every way. That as a man, he died on the cross. And as God, he carried the burdens and the payment for the sins of the world on his shoulders. Thank you for sending Christ to come. Thank you for the humility. God the Son, of taking on a human nature for all of eternity. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you respond and reflect on the truth you've heard this morning? We've sung about it, we've read about it, that God would reveal His Son in this way. May we worship with that in mind. This morning, you respond and reflect as the Spirit leads.
God, thank you for the gift of redemption. Thank you for the gift of your word as it reveals your character to us. May we have a wonderful day, individually and as families all over the Michigan area today, recognizing and thanking you for the gift of reconciliation seen in the person and work of Jesus as we come in the name of Jesus. Amen.